Welcome to C-Suite Radio. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for another edition of the Brett Allen Show. It's go time, you know and me. Join us weekly for the latest pop culture interviews from your favorite TV shows, movies, comedians, and so much more. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie to you, felt good. Plus, you never know who will drop by. What happened here was a miracle. Now, here is your host. I said, throw down, boy. Welcome to the night's main event. Brett Allen. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of The Brett Allen Show. And today we have our second interview. Uh, we're talking Kevin Can F Himself, uh, available on the AMC Network and available to stream uh, consecutively. We had your co-star Candice Coke on, and now uh, we have the star of this fantastic show, uh, Eric Peterson. Thank you so much for your time. Happy to be here, Brett. Uh, I'm happy to talk about the show and, and talk with you. So, yeah. Well, this is exciting. Second season. Everybody's been waiting for this for a while. Oh, we have a dog that's joining us. Yeah, there's somebody at my front door. Let me, I'll be right back. Take your time. (laughs) Okay. Slating three, two, one. It's another episode of the Brett Allen Show. Today we are talking season two of Kevin Kneff himself with the star himself, Eric Peterson. Uh, This new season has just started. And uh, it has just been a thrill ride uh, from what I have seen so far. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Brett. I'm happy to talk with you and uh, talk about the show. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, this is great. I know everybody has been waiting for season two for a while. And uh, this show that you all have created is, I would say, genre bending because it's not like anything that's been on television before. And I know when the first season came out, People were liking it to like the King of Queens, but a very dark version. Uh, It's basically, you know, single camera versus multi-camera and the two worlds kind of blend. How does it feel now to have this out uh, and for people to watch? 
Uh, it feels great. You know, uh, the first season was, was really well received and we were really happy about it because like you said, it is a genre bending show. It's the, the sort of rarity in Hollywood that is an actually original idea. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's obviously commenting and taking inspiration from uh, forms before it, but no one has ever really done a show like this. Right. Um, so that was really exciting to be a part of. Um, and I'm really happy with the way that the first season turned out and the second season is sort of rolling out right now uh, and people are really liking it. And I, I think that our show is, I think it's a smart show. I think it has a lot to say. I think it has a, a point of view, which is really important in television. Um, and yeah, we're just, uh, we're really proud of it. And I'm happy that people are getting to see season two now. Yeah, it is. It is a very important show and you do tackle a lot of different things. Uh, a lot of tropes maybe that might exist in this world that you're a part of, but really I, I think the initial overarching thing was sort of proposing the idea. What if a sitcom uh, actually, I guess you could say took place in real life. Yeah. But then like the characters, your character in particular uh, had to deal with consequences for some of the things that they said and did. Uh, and you guys have sort of explored that and other ideas. Um, when the idea was being tossed around for a second season, um, as a cast and as the lead, the series lead, did you get to have any sort of input on this? And sort of, did they ask you, hey, where, where do you see your character going? Or or is it all kind of decided for you by it, the power of the I would say it's mostly decided by the brilliant writers room. Um, there's definitely like when you're, when you're shooting the first season, when you're like between takes, you're like chatting up the, the show creators and they definitely sometimes will drop little breadcrumbs of like, oh, I think this might happen and we might be doing this. And that would be a time, I suppose, if you were like, oh, I really don't like that storyline or I really don't like this. But really your job as an actor is less in the creative, uh, you know, script writing and more to interpret what's given to you. Um, but I do think that, you know, we were all really uh, excited and Valerie, who is the show creator, Valerie Armstrong uh, and showrunner and her and uh, Craig DiGregio, uh, who is our other showrunner, they really were very, they were part of everything, obviously as showrunners, but like we really spent a lot of time with them. And so I know that they definitely wrote to our strengths, I think for the second season. Yeah, yeah. I would say that would be true. And I think when <clears throat> the powers that be, so to speak, are are creating shows like this, I think, you know, most of them are at least familiar with you as an actor and sort of yeah. know your range or what you could possibly do. And then they just create. I've heard it said multiple times by lots of actors, you know, shows are as good as the writers are, right? I mean, you could have Perfect. super amazing, talented people and the writing could suck. I, I hate yep. to say that, <laughs> you know. But it's and, so true. It's it's yeah. absolutely true. You know, I, I think I saw a, a quote from Leonardo DiCaprio the other day that was talking about movies, but the same idea that like you can have gr a great director, you can have great actors, you can have a great cinematographer, but if the script is crap, you just can't overcome that. Like it just, it just is. That is the meat of the whole thing. Everything else is sort of dressing around the story. So you need a strong story. And and luckily we've been uh, you know blessed to have uh, a very smart and uh, intelligent, intelligent, uh, forward thinking writers room working for us. 
Yeah. Kiefer Sutherland said the same thing because when this guy gets interviewed, the first thing or one of the things that people ask him is, are you going to do another season of 24? And he always says, you know, it's only as good as the writing. If the writing is yeah. not very good, you know, sure, we could pump out another two or three seasons of the show. Right. And that was very clear when they tried to bring it back and it just was not um, that great because the writing was not very good. But this right. show is just so smartly written. And uh, I think that's why people love it is, you know, especially in a time now where uh, there's so much content for people to to choose from and they've chosen to watch this, you know. Yeah, you know, uh, you're totally right that we are in a. I don't know if it's not the golden age, but maybe in regards to streaming, it would be considered the golden age of streaming. It is, you know, there's just so much content out there. Uh, and even like myself and friends of mine who are in the industry, and it's like sort of our job to watch things and be aware of all the new shows. And as an actor, you kind of want to be ready to jump into, you know, whatever show comes calling. So you sort of stay in the know with everything that's going on. And even people like myself that are doing that still every day are like, wait, what's that show? Oh, okay. I gotta, that sounds really cool. Let me add that to the list. And we just have this like growing list of shows to watch. So whenever people find us, uh, you know, on AMC or through the AMC plus uh, app, um, which allows you to watch an episode a week ahead of time. If you're huge, Kevin can have himself fans. Yes. Um, whenever people find us, uh, they seemingly are like, Whoa, this show is so cool and so original. And, and that seems to be the, the, the main comment that I get from people, especially if they didn't know me or if they just sort of came upon it is that they're, they were truly shocked by what it was and how it was doing what it was doing and, and what the show was saying. Yeah, yeah. Now you've spent a lot of time on Broadway too in theater and performing. And a lot of people might not know that you've done a few shows, three or four, maybe five, I think. Um, are you do you ever have that interest in going back to that part of your career and doing that? I mean, they're two very different skill sets, but, but they are. Uh, um, I I do. I I I assume that I will at some point in my life go back and do more Broadway shows. Um it was how I came up. I came up as a theater actor. My first, you know, 10 years of my career were in the theater and doing musicals, Broadway. So it is my sort of oldest, truest love um, in regards to my career. But I'll tell you, as when I was growing up, all I really wanted to be was on a sitcom. So like this show is sort yeah. of a dream come true in getting to like not only be on a sitcom, but also be on a show that's saying something about the sitcoms. Um, but yeah, I, I love theater. I love um, you know, the the live audience aspect of theater cannot be uh, over complimented. It just sure. is it just is uh, an immediate reaction, especially for somebody who does a lot of comedy, you know, doing comedy in, in a void where, you know, like the the camera guys are told, don't laugh, obviously, just like let them do the stuff and, you know, be be quiet and still. It's, it's weird. It's weird to do comedy in that setting, which is why it's kind of fun on Kevin, because we would have we had these um, live with a mini live studio audience. So basically, when the show was originally pitched, the idea was that we would have a full studio audience. But okay. that was a few months before the pandemic. And so then uh, that idea obviously got uh, thrown away. But we did bring in the first season and the second season. Uh, a group of we just called them the laughers and they were like 12 to 15 local boston people who were paid to come and sit in a, a room that was sort of like 
not directly across from us, but in the same soundstage. And they all had on their masks and they were, you know, separated by six feet, but they were watching our performance. They had a live feed. So they, and we could physically hear them and they were sort of pumped through the, the sound system. But being able to have that instant reaction was really helpful just in regards to timing. And when you're doing a multicam, it, it is an its own sort of art form that you have to, you know, say a joke but you can't like just freeze. You have to kind of just like fill the moment as the laughter comes. And then you got to ride that wave and right as it's about it to crash, then you can come in with the next joke and having theater training really sort of helps you with that. Yeah. And having seen actual live television tapings in studio city, it's a very interesting experience to watch a sitcom get taped. Um, I was at one and they were actually rewriting jokes on the fly uh, because they weren't landing like, they thought they would but there was always one person laughing and you were like well that's obviously the person who wrote the joke and thinks it's funny um i will say this i I, because i've done a lot of multicam even before kevin that's actually my favorite part of doing multicam is the tape nights when it would just be electric and there's you know for people who don't know essentially on a, a traditional multicam sitcom like cheers seinfeld friends anything like that uh, you would do rehearsals all through the week and then Friday night usually, or sometimes it was rotating, but essentially Friday night was tape night. And you would have pre-taped maybe three or four scenes that just get shown to the audience, but everything else is done chronologically as it would appear in the show. And you're on the set. There's a crowd of maybe 200 people. There's a hype guy who's like telling jokes and juggling and asking people where they're <laughs> yeah. from and and like they're serving pizza and they're playing music between each take and the you know hair and makeup people are rushing in to give you touch-ups and but my favorite part was when the writers would come in with a new joke and i was convinced i don't know that this is true but i i, I suspect this is true that sometimes sitcom writers multicam writers will have the best joke in their pocket right yeah and they'll let us rehearse a mediocre joke all week so that that because you can't help but by doing a joke four five six seven times it does lose a little bit of its spontaneity and so i think that the great sitcom writers they keep the great joke in their pocket until tape night you do two or three takes with the medium joke and then they're like oh we got to rewrite and they pretend that they just wrote it then and they bring it in and you they kind of read it to you while people are fixing your makeup and you're like looking at the script okay it's like five six lines Okay. Okay. Great. And they're like, ready. Okay. Rolling. Boom. And then you just do it. And there's like no rehearsal. You just like do it. And, and a lot of times that joke really kills because a, it's a better joke. And also when an audience has seen you do two or three takes of a joke that they're like, Oh, that was funny. And then you come up over the top with something even funnier. It just kills them, which uh, that's honestly one of my favorite parts of, of doing, (laughs) doing multicam. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can imagine. Um, so if I understand correctly, please correct me if I'm wrong. You're from Carroll Stream, Illinois. Yes. Uh, spent a lot of time in Wheaton and Bensonville and that area. Yes. I, I spent a lot of time going to college there. How did you make the leap from Carroll Stream to, I'm sure there's a journey there, but like, how did it all start for you? Yeah. Uh, well, I, yeah. Carroll Stream, for those of you who don't know, is a suburb of Chicago. It's about 30 minutes west of the city. Um, so that's where I grew up and I'm a very proud Chicagoland uh, person. Uh, and 
I started doing theater in high school. Uh, I was always sort of a class clown, but uh, high school is where I found the theater department. And I was like, oh, this is, these are my people. This is my tribe. And I really liked it. Uh, but I, I did think that I was just going to be a, a cartoonist was my original dream okay. uh, until I was about a senior in high school. And because I had gotten the lead in enough high school shows, I started to think, well, maybe I'm actually decent at this. Maybe I should go to college for it. So then I went to Bradley University in Peoria, Illinois, little liberal arts school that uh, I had a great time with and studied just acting there, not musical theater, just like straight up acting. And then I went to work at a summer stock theater in Michigan. And my plan was to do that summer in Michigan and then move out to L.A. and try my hand at, you know, trying to get on a sitcom. And uh, that summer I met a girl and we started dating and I thought she was pretty great. And I said, what are you doing at the end of the summer? And she was like, oh, I'm moving to New York. And I was like, that's crazy. I'm moving to New York too. And I totally changed my plan and chased that girl to New York. Um, but it worked out because she's now my wife and we have yes. two kids and, you know, we've been together for almost 20 years. And so it was, it was the good call. Um, but yeah, so we moved to New York and we lived there for about 10 years and I just started doing theater and, you know, eventually got my break on Broadway, did enough of that. And then I was doing, I was playing Shrek in the national tour of Shrek yes. musical and it finished in LA. And so <clears throat> we just thought, you know, I kind of said to my wife, I was like, maybe we just stay in LA at the end of the tour and see how it goes. Like, let's just give it a six months a year and see if we like it and if I can find work. And, and I was lucky enough to sort of get some TV work relatively quickly after coming out here. And then we were like, all right, I think we're going to settle here. But even since then, we've moved our family back and forth between New York and LA. I think like four, five times that we've done a full move, like everything to New York, everything back to LA, everything back to New York. So uh, we're, we are by coastal in that way, but we're trying, trying to settle here and uh, just keep it going here in LA. Shrek. That was great. You did so good in that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, this is great. Kevin can F himself, which is now available to watch on AMC weekly and then AMC plus streaming the next day. And of course, if you have AMC plus and, you didn't cancel your subscription after Better Call Saul. Uh, and we hope you didn't. Be sure to watch this fantastic show on our guest, Eric, uh, and this uh, really great show. All the success uh, to you, my friend, is all well-deserved. And uh, thank you so much for hanging out today. Thanks, Brad. It was great talking with you. Thanks for listening and being a part of today's conversation. Thank you! If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider sharing it with a friend. It's absolutely free. A mega proportions. The views and opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. And remember, we care. <laughs>